What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UJ Podcast, where it's all Georgia sports all the time. I'm Tyler, and on the other end of the line is my co-host, Curtis. You can follow us on Twitter at Glory underscore UGA. You can email us at podcast at gmail.com. And now you can also check out our Glory UGA Podcast Facebook page. Uh, we always appreciate everything you guys do uh, in terms of taking time out of your day, listen to the show, and support us. Uh, we try to make it worth your time. So if you do enjoy the show, and I guess if you are listening right now, you find the show redeeming in at least some small way, or maybe you're just a complete masochist. Who knows? No judging here. Uh, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, if you do enjoy the show, even in some small way, uh, we would definitely greatly appreciate it if you would like us on Facebook and help us spread the word about the show to friends and family. Uh, it can be as simple as just retweeting uh, our tweets or sharing the link to this this and every future episode you listen to. To do that, just click on the share button or listen, using the listen to the show, and that would be awesome, guys. We definitely appreciate your help there. Uh, well, we are deep right now in the throes of what I call the talking and list season. Over the past couple of weeks, as the dog days of summer have kind of begun to hit us hard, I don't know, I don't know about you, Kurt, but it hits me hard about this time – just about this time every year. Does it hit you at all? Like, I just, man, the counter tells me the season's just just around the corner, but it still seems so far away. Yeah, especially most most sports are dying down right now, so it's really a dead time for just sports I, in general. Yeah, I mean, you can watch Major League Baseball, but that's not my, I mean, I just, I could, I mean, I don't, you guys know if you listen to the show, I don't care about pro sports. There's nothing for me. You can watch the College World Series, but when, when we're not in it, I mean, I'll watch it passively, but I'm not, like, into it. Are you? No, not at all. I mean, there's nothing else on, so you just kind of flip it on, but it's just, uh, I guess it's just passing time. So it's that, for me at least, rough time of the year. But anyway, during these slow summer months, we've been doing our best to kind of help feed your uh, growing football hunger as the summer progresses. You know, we've had our Scouting Enemy series going on that's going to roll through August, where we are going to preview 11 of the 12 games on the schedule. Sorry, Sanford. Yeah, sucks for you. Uh, we also released our first Recruiting Blitz episode last week, and there'll be at least a couple more of those coming your way this summer. We have some interesting news come out. We're actually recording this show on Saturday because of some work issues. Uh, some interesting news came out today on the quarterback recruiting front where Matt Corral from California is officially decommitted from Southern Cal. We talked about him a little bit a couple weeks ago on the show. So that creates an interesting situation with both Justin Fields and Corral both having decommitted and us being a major player for both of them. So it's going to be very interesting to see how that plays out. So on an, over the next week or so, we might bring that up and a couple of other recruiting topics on our next recruiting blitz episode uh but today we're going to introduce one more new series that we're going to simply call the top five uh the concept's pretty simple we're going to give you our rankings of various football related categories obviously with the georgia football focus that's kind of what we do uh over the course of the the rest of the summer we're going to run through the top five toughest games on our schedule the top five offenses top five defenses we're going to face the top five overall players we're going to face the top five most important players on our team you get the idea uh, we were originally going to borrow from David Letterman and do a top 10, but nah, I kind of felt like that would just get a little too bogged down and wouldn't really allow us to go into the detail we want to go into. So top five it is. Um, now additionally, anytime you're making a list or a ranking, it's always highly debatable. So we're also going to have a Twitter poll running after each one of these shows. It's actually, the one for this show is running right now, so you guys can voice your opinion and tell us where we're wrong. Uh, maybe tell us where we're right if we get something right. It happens occasionally. So head over to our Twitter feed right now at glory underscore UJ whenever you get a chance and give us your thoughts on today's first top five topic, which is the toughest games on our 2017 schedule. Now, a month or so ago, Kurt and I did a show where we looked at the schedule as a whole and kind of discussed whether there might be 
a few more potential landmines on the schedule than many see in the preseason. Now, I, while I would agree that by the standards of SEC schedules, ours is fairly manageable this year, right? Or overall, fairly manageable. Would you still say yeah. that? Yeah, fairly manageable. A couple of teams on our schedule that people are just chalking up as wins right now. I think they might prove to be a little more difficult than they seem at first glance. Maybe the Mississippi States, the South Carolinas perhaps late in the season, maybe even Missouri. We'll see. Um, But today we're highlighting the five games that we think will ultimately prove to be the toughest for us to win. This is a joint glory UGA ranking, and so these are a consensus that Curtis and I came to. And to get to that consensus, what we did is Curtis and I, first, we each individually ranked the difficulty level of every game on the schedule from 1 to 12. Obviously, we're playing 12 teams. Rank them 1 through 12 with one cakewalk. Uh, Each game was given a point value that corresponded directly to its numerical ranking. For instance, if I ranked, I don't know, if I ranked Auburn as being our number one toughest game, then that game got one point. If I ranked Tennessee as being our third toughest game, then it got three points. We then added up the point totals from our respective rankings to determine our top five combined list of toughest games uh, with the team with the lowest point total being the toughest game. So if in our individual rankings, Curtis and I both rank Team A as the number one toughest game in the schedule, that means Team A got two total points. One point from my rankings and one point from Kurtz, giving it the lowest total, uh, lowest point total possible and the number one overall ranking on our list. So... I realize as I explain that it sounds ridiculously complicated, but I promise you it's really not. It's just a little basic addition. I promise it, it well, I hope it will make sense as we kind of go through this. But let's go ahead and get into our top five rankings here. Coming in at number five in the Glory UGA list of our top five toughest games on the 2017 schedule is the Mississippi State Bizarro Dogs. Now, in our combined rankings, Kurt, the Bizarros, which is what I call Mississippi State, but anyway, uh, they averaged uh, they averaged out just inside the top five, obviously coming at number five. But on my individual rankings, I had Mississippi State as the sixth toughest game on our schedule. And in the number five spot, I had the South Carolina Gamecocks. You, however, on the other hand, had the Gamecocks all the way down at number eight in your individual rankings which kept them out of our combined top five. You have them so low down there, it's knocked them out and boosted Mississippi State into the top five. So, Kurt, explain to me why Mississippi State is going to give us more trouble earlier in the season than South Carolina will later in the season, even though they're both at home. I think it's simple. It's one player, uh, Nick Fitzgerald. I think it really comes down to him. Uh, you know, he can change the game in any in you know multiple ways, and I think that's what makes it more dangerous. I mean, South Carolina. The thing about I had them a lower. I had them. I want. You had them way down there. Yeah, I, I had them uh, down near. You know, like where I have Mizzou. You know, I think Mizzou has an explosive offense where you don't have that with South Carolina. Um, really, really, a quarterback can be explosive this year offensively. Not with a wide open system like someone like uh, Mizzou runs, who with any one chance with a hurry up spread system. Interesting. I, I think. And you know, I, I mean, know. I think it'll be good, but you got to think of you know, look at what Mizzou did against us in that one game. I mean, they were not a very good team, but you know, at any one time they could put it together and they can just move the ball very quickly. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Drew Locke is. I mean, he's got the he's got the arm skill. I mean, he's got the arm power. I don't know if he alters his trajectory enough and takes it off takes a little juice off the ball in certain situations, but he's he's got the skills to be a really good quarterback. And Jamon Moore, I mean, he's was a thousand yard receiver. Uh, had a thousand yard running back last year with Demario Carter. They're actually the only team in the SEC, if I'm remembering correctly, that had a three thousand yard passer, a thousand yard rusher, and a thousand yard receiver. So I get your point there, but I think 
South Carolina with Jake Bentley at quarterback is a dangerous offense. It's not just about him. They have players offensively. And you mentioned, okay, so let's go back. You said it was one player, really, that, that gave you, that put Mississippi State in the top five for you, right? Nick Fitzgerald? Yeah, I mean, yeah, look at what Fitzgerald did at the end of the season, pretty much catapulting them to a bowl game. Oh, no doubt. I mean, Nick Fitzgerald was ridiculous. Like, I, and he, I think that's the biggest thing, especially early in the season. You don't have a lot of time to prepare for that, especially, you know, when you're coming off a Notre Dame-type trip and things like that. I mean, that's a... It's going to be hard to get ready for a dual threat any time trying to prepare for a dual threat quarterback. And, um, you know, later in the season, South Carolina always has a little bit extra meaning for us compared to, you know, Mississippi State's not, you know, something that we think about when it comes to recruiting and things like that, which it does for South Carolina. I mean, you have a lot of Georgia kids on South Carolina. Yeah, yeah, that's true. There are. But do you really think – I mean, I, I'm with you. Nick Fitzgerald is a good quarterback. He's good. I, I don't think he's as great as everyone – is making him out to be right now in the preseason. I think last year, I mean, because we're going to break them down later this week in the next part of our Scouting Enemy series. I think he's a good player and he's a threat to take to the house any anytime he's out there. He is a threat, but he's an inconsistent player right now, or at least he was last year. Maybe he's going to take the next step and make a big jump in, in his second year as a starter. That's certainly possible. But if you're basing on what I saw last year, yes, he is a threat anytime he has the ball in his hands. He can take the distance. But he's inconsistent in his reads. He's inconsistent in his accuracy as a passer. He's inconsistent, in, 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 going back to his reads, inconsistent reading against, against uh, coverages, throwing the football. But he's also inconsistent in his reads in terms of when to pull the ball and when to not pull the ball when he's running zone reads, which is a, which is a base part of their offense. So, yes, he's good. I, 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 totally, I totally get that. But, you, you know, the biggest thing is, especially in college football, all it takes is four or five plays. And yeah, he is I mean, that guy that can change the game. I mean, I, I just got done breaking them down uh, last night, actually. And I was watching – the last game I was watching was their bowl game against uh, Miami of Ohio. Now, they, they finished 5-7 and seven in the regular season, but because of APR situation, they ended up getting in the bowl game against uh, Miami of Ohio in the St. Petersburg Bowl. And they were losing most of that game. And he – there was a, a third and short situation late in the game, midway through the fourth quarter. He pulls it. It takes the distance, goes about 60 yards for a touchdown, just burns everybody. And that changed again. That won in the football game. And see, and that's what I'm saying. I mean, Bentley, he's, he's more of like a Connor Shaw type person. You know, he's going to throw the ball, he'll run a little bit maybe, but nothing compared to what Fitzgerald can do in any one time. Like you said, any one time, he can change the entire scope of the game. Yeah, I, I guess what you have is a situation where you have a, a, a true playmaking game changer. And then defense is going to be a little bit better. You know, they picked up two big Juco players that, that you know, most of us know uh, in Chauncey Rivers and John Abrams. Yeah, um, yeah. Those are, they're solid players. I mean, they both played for us a little bit, not a ton. But, I mean, Abrams started a couple games for us. Uh, yeah, and you got Jeffrey Simmons, who's a woman beater, um, still out there. Uh, I don't know. That Mississippi State defense, I would say they have – they definitely have one guy that would start for us right now in Jeffrey Simmons. He would start for us. He's that good. And well, yeah, but they, that's about it. I mean, Leo Lewis is okay. South Carolina has. I mean, South Carolina, I mean, they're going to be relying on a lot of underclassmen. Yeah, but you also got Sky Moore coming back after his injury last year. You've got Bryce Nile Williams who back for his senior year. I believe now he's a senior. Yeah, um, but how much have those guys, I mean, those guys. Sky Moore is really, Sky Moore is an all-SEC player. Yeah, but you're talking about Bryce Nile Williams. That guy he's solid. Is like, he's like, he's like their, our Reggie Carter. Yeah, but who does who does Mississippi State have that's better than him right now? Not a, not a ton of guys playing that position. I just think I just think the biggest thing too is you know you got to look at it. it's early in the season. You know your offense isn't helping yet. There's a lot of things that you're trying to work on. You're usually breaking in new defensive players, working on communication skills and everything like that. Yeah, I also would say that and that's fair. 
But I, I mean, looking at South Carolina's offense, I know that Nick Fitzgerald is is a Mississippi State bizarre dog. I get that. But South Carolina, outside the quarterback position, and I, I will go back and I will say I don't think Fitzgerald is that much of an upgrade over Jake Bentley. I don't think he's that much better. I think Fitzgerald is more of uh, a game-changing player. Like he can change a game in one play. I do agree with you there. But I think Bentley's far more consistent. So as you got to decide, what do you, do you want that, ga- that guy that can change a game in one play? Or he can lose you a game, potentially. Or do you want a guy like Jake Bentley? You know what he's going to be down in and down out, game in and game out. But if you look beyond the quarterbacks, I think South Carolina has more weapons offensively. you got Debo Samuel. you got Brian Edwards out wide, Hayden Hurst. So I've been on record saying I think he's the best tight end right now, at least what I saw last year in the SEC. you got Rico Dowdell came on late last year after missing the first half of the year. Now, their offensive line's a disaster, or at least it was last year. and doesn't look to be like it's going to be that much improved this year. But you got Jake Bentley added to that in his second year, his first full year as a starter. I think that South Carolina offense overall, skill-wise, talent-wise, is better than what Mississippi State's going to put out there on the field. Get that, but at the same time, you know, it could come at the time of the season where our defense is starting to finally mesh. I mean, we're looking at potentially playing some freshmen and people like that who've never truly played at the beginning of the season. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Well, let me ask you about the situation these games pop in. You mentioned earlier that we're playing Mississippi State coming off of a road trip to Notre Dame. Actually, it's, it's two weeks after the road trip to Notre Dame, but still, it's shortly after Notre Dame. I would argue that the South Carolina game is in a much more difficult situation for us where it lands on schedule as opposed to Mississippi State. Yes, Mississippi State is the week before a trip to Knoxville, and that's always a tough trip no matter what kind of team Tennessee has. It's always a tough, a tough trip to go up there. But look at where USC is on that schedule. It's sandwiched right between a trip to Jacksonville for the cocktail party and then a trip to Auburn. Right in between those two games right there who might, might end up well being the, the two toughest games on the schedule, you have – this game against South Carolina. Dude, this is a classic trap game. And I know Clemson's South Carolina's biggest rival, their in-state rival, but if you're looking at SEC teams, we are by far South Carolina's biggest rival. They're about fourth or fifth down the list for us, but we're number one for them when it comes to rivals in the SEC. I I can tell you that from experience of dealing with these people. We are number one for them. They want this game. We're going to want it too. It's not like we're not going to want to win, but it's that emotional high right before, right after Jacksonville, and then you're going to need to get for Auburn, possibly looking ahead to them, because I think they're probably going to have a very good year this year. Or they look to be a team that can have a very good year. I mean, I, Is that not a trap game? That, but I also think about it, you know, you're talking about how our team will be at it. I mean, Kirby wants to win this one as must champ. It's a lot of things going into it for our team compared to we don't have a reason to get as high against a team like Mississippi State, who, like I say, could come in there and really bite you in the butt and sneak up on you. They, I mean, Mississippi State could sneak up on you. Absolutely. I, I, I'm worried about that game. I think it's going to be a tough that's, game. That's the thing. I mean, yeah, that could be a trap game for South Carolina. But at the same time, I think you know, the, the fact that who it is helps uh, helps play into it. That, you know, it's going to be, you know, our coaches and everyone's going to want us to be up as much in this game in for this game as they would, you know, Mississippi State. But the coaches wanting us to and the players actually being up for this game and buying into that is a totally different thing. I mean, it's uh, think about it for, for for these players from their perspective. You go to Jacksonville, we know how jacked up everyone's going to be for that. You know, they're going to be hearing all along that Florida owns us, so on and so forth. we got to win this game to break the curse and to actually win the East. They won the East past two years. we got to get over that hump. And let's say we do. Let's say we beat Florida. All right, that's great. And then, then where is everyone else's attention going to turn? Now, the coach is going to be all on South Carolina, South Carolina, South Carolina. Of course, there. Kirby wants to beat Muschamp, no doubt. The coaches know that. But the coaches are 40, 50, 60-year-old men. They're not 20-year-old guys. That You know if Auburn has the kind of season that a lot of people are predicting Auburn to have, and I think they very well could have that type of season, you know our players, it's gonna, it's just natural. Their eyes are going to turn to Auburn after that Jacksonville game. They're going to be thinking about that game, right? Am I wrong there? 
I mean, if that's the case, then we don't deserve to win the East. Simple as that. You have, gonna... the, you have to beat the opponent in front of you because it doesn't matter if we beat all, Auburn for SEC if we don't beat South Carolina. Yeah, I, I, I know. I, I just maybe I'm scarred from our history. We just always have a history of you know sometimes winning these games. You know, winning some big games. We always seem to lose a game like like go to the know, Bayern, like last saying, year. We had games that we shouldn't lose. Auburn doesn't matter if you don't win South Carolina. We know that. that you and I know that. Our coaches know that. The rest of the fan base knows that. But that's a hard sell to. To, that's something well, I mean, that's hard to sell to every player on the team. Maybe if we lose to LS, or to Florida or even Tennessee or someone, then you can't afford a loss and you have to take South Carolina serious because it, each and every game is important in its own case. It, like Timing really does matter. It does matter. Yeah, I mean, we're splitting hairs here. I think I think both games are similar than their potential trap games, teams that we could potentially take lightly because if you look at our schedule on paper before the season, I mean, think about it. Most people, when they're going down our schedule, predicting our win total – they're, they're checking Mississippi State off as a win, right? Most people are checking South Carolina off as a win, right? But I think that, like I said at the outset of the show, I think these are two teams that could end up being much more difficult for us than we're looking at right now on paper in June. I, I think they're going to be tougher games for us. Those, those teams have, they're not as talented as us across the board, not even close, but they have just enough players in key spots that if, if we come out flat like we have been prone to do, now I know this is a different coaching staff in year two, it's not the same Rick coaching staff. I, I get that. But we've been prone to come out flat in certain games. And if we do that and these teams play well, they are very capable of beating us. Very capable. So it's, they're just, it's concerning for me. I just If our guys take these games seriously and we bring our A games, they can't beat us. But will we bring our A game? That's a question. So they're splitting here. I would still go South Carolina 5, but I'm not going to fault you too much for Mississippi State 5. I, I get that. They're, they're a solid team. Fitzgerald is a difference maker. All right, let's um, move on to number four. At number four in the Glory UGA rankings of the five toughest games on our 2017 schedule is the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Uh, Kurt, you and I were both pretty close here in our individual rankings. I'm a little more bullish on the Irish than you are, as I had Notre Dame as the third toughest game in my individual rankings. But you weren't that far off from me. Uh, You had them at number four on your list. So, Kurt, we previewed Notre Dame last week. As part of our Scouting the Enemy series, we went in-depth there. Uh, this is a team coming off a 4-8 and eight season last year. So why did you have them inside your top five? Um, I think the biggest thing is, you know, it's just a, a tough road game at the beginning of the season. You know, I think some of the players will be starstruck for the most part. Most of them have never been up to Notre Dame, and I just think it's the atmosphere, the history uh, we'll all have to deal with. And I think that, you know, they'll – this is a, that'll be a huge game for Brian Kelly. It'll either be he's back on the hot seat or he's back as a coach. Do you really think the environment's going to be that big of a deal for these guys? I mean, I mean we, we play in big-time SEC arenas, or not arenas, stadiums, yeah, week in and week out. Notre Dame, Notre Dame is Notre Dame. I mean, why do you sure. think they always, half the time they're always picked to win the national championship or be in the top ten because of their name? That's true. I mean, I, I think anyone that follows college football, you know that Notre Dame is sticking. And players are not immune to that. So, yeah, I think there's something to that. I think you're right there. Um, and just go on. I mean, I don't want to spend too much time on Notre Dame because we did just uh, preview them in the Scout and Enemy series, which if you haven't checked out, feel free to go back and check out. Hope you guys enjoy it. Um, but just a, a quick recap there. Look, the, I think Notre Dame, because I also have them inside my top five, and I know you're looking to say, well, they, had, they were 4-8 and eight last year. Why would they be one of the toughest games on our schedule? Well, uh, if you look at the at their schedule last year, and again, I don't want to spend too much time on it, but... Yes, they lost eight games. Seven of those eight games they lost were by a touchdown or less. Four of the eight games they lost were by three points or less. So they weren't that far off. Yes, you know, they, they did lose eight games, but it wasn't like they were getting destroyed. They actually outgained their opponents by almost 500 yards on the year. 
Uh, they have some serious talent at skill positions combined with a veteran and talented offensive line. Two guys on the left side of the offensive line, uh, Mike McGlinchey and Quentin Nelson, who probably if they would have come out this year were predicted as guys who are late first round, early second round picks. So these are very talented offensive linemen. Their offense is going to be good. Uh, quarterback is still a question. Uh, Brandon Wimbush was a highly recruited guy. I think he was top 50 nationally in the 247 composite coming out of high school, but he's kind of sat on the bench for a while. We don't really know what they have there. Brian Kelly hasn't, I mean, he, for all the attention that the Notre Dame quarterbacks have gotten over the years, I guess they, they get the attention of their Notre Dame quarterbacks, but they haven't been that great. A lot of them, they've been, I mean, with Everett Golson, League Zaire, I mean, those guys end up transferring out. Uh, Deshaun Kaiser, yes, he gets drafted in the second round, but I don't know if he reaches potential under Brian Kelly. I don't know. Um, so interesting to see there. Defense is still a major question mark. Uh, so if you factor in defensively all the question marks they have there with the question mark at quarterback, to me that's why they're not higher on this list. But that offense has got some serious talent, right? Yeah. I mean, Equinemia St. Brown, I mean, breaking down the tape and preparing for the Scott and Enemy series – that guy, that gave me chills watching him. Like I was freaking out. Not like not the good kind of chills. Like I had the flu kind of chills. Like just not good stuff, man. Um, he's a really good player, and with the, I don't say issues we have in defensive backfield, but with the personnel we have and uh, what they bring to the table, they're not the biggest guys in the world, especially at corner. If you get smashed by a guy like Malcolm Pierce, even Baker, man, that's that's a mismatch with that size. I mean, if they throw the ball to him anywhere in the vicinity. He's going to go up and get it. And it's not just him. Every receiver they have, at least in the starting group, is 6'3 or taller. So it's going to be interesting, man. I think it's going to be a tougher game than people want to say right now. Um, and actually, if we uh, I did a poll uh, after this guy in the enemy series, or I guess along with it, to let you guys give your take on how that game was going to go. And I think 79% of the respondents said that that game was going – that we were at least going to win comfortably. I think it was like 59%, something like that, said that we were, we were going to win going away. Are you buying that, Kurt? Is that, is that a game that we're going to make a statement in? Because that seems to be the consensus among the people who voted in our poll. I think we have a good chance to, yeah. Really? To go to win going away make a statement? I hope so, man. I just – I don't know. I think this game – if we win by a touchdown, I'll be happy. If we just win, I'll be happy. Uh, I think it might be a little closer than some are thinking. That. We'll see. We'll see. We are the better team. I'll say that. Uh, coming in at number three, and this is one, Kurt, you and I apparently see a little bit differently, is the Tennessee Volunteers. All right, Kurt, in your individual rankings, you had Tennessee as the second toughest game on our schedule. Well, I'm just not seeing that at all right now, and I actually had the Vols as the fourth toughest game on our schedule in my personal rankings. Uh, I still think Notre Dame is going to be a tougher game for us than Tennessee will. So, Kirk, convince me why I'm wrong. What are you seeing in Tennessee that I'm just not seeing right now? Um, you know, as nice as Notre Dame is and everything, their crowd is nothing compared to a game in Knoxville. And it, I think it that's is, a, yeah. And that's I a think rough that's the biggest reason is just like two years ago when we went up there and lost there with that, Knox, that team up there was nowhere close to as talented as we are. Even if, even though we lost Chuck, we still were up by, what, 21 points and lost that game. Um you know, the biggest thing is just the, the crowd and how quickly the momentum can change, especially in that home crowd in Tennessee. I mean, they're loud and raucous, and I think that's the biggest reason. I mean, it's a true – I mean, compared to Florida, yeah, you know, it's usually close to 50-50, uh, maybe 60-40. Yeah, and Knoxville is a straight, classic road game. I, I will I, – I totally agree with you there. I think going to Knoxville, that's the toughest road environment that's on our regular schedule rotation. Uh, Auburn – is way overrated, man. I, I've never been impressed with their game day environment. I don't think it's that loud. 
Uh, like you said, we play Jacksonville every year, so I mean that's fifty fifty. So it's never it's always there's always someone screaming, but it's never it's only fifty percent of the stadiums. So it's never that loud. Uh, Vanderbilt is what Vanderbilt is. Missouri is it's okay. It's nothing to write home. I mean, it's a, I love going to that trip, but it's not a a, a, a raucous intimidating environment on the road uh kentucky same thing i love going to kentucky for those trips but not a raucous environment uh south carolina that was a tough one too now i I will say south carolina kind of rivals tennessee they get they get going there but it's just not as big as tennessee tennessee just got more people it's completely closed in so the erector says so yeah i i I do think anytime you go to tennessee it's hostile man it's a tough game no matter how good they are what kind of talent they have what what kind of team they have it's going to be a tough game so I'm with you there, but is that enough to put them? I mean, you had them at number two in your rings. Is that really the leading factor, or are you seeing something else? Yeah, I mean, how many times have we actually gone up to Knoxville and just played like crap and lost when we should, we were clearly the better team? And you know that's happened many times since just 2000. I mean, and I think that's the biggest thing is when you go up there, it doesn't matter if they're better or not. That home field advantage helps them so much; it really can change the game and the out, outlook of the game. I mean, if you yeah. get down by two touchdowns, it's you're not coming back. Really. Yeah, let's think recent memory against Tennessee in Knoxville. Uh, 2009. Uh, Lane Kiffin. Yeah, 2009, Lane Kiffin, they destroyed us. They basically bootlegged us every other play. And just and we, couldn't, we for whatever reason, couldn't figure that out. And they just destroyed us. And we I, I still think we, we were a better football team. I don't, we weren't great in 2009. I still think we were better than them. Uh, 2011, we won in a, it was a, 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 it was an Aaron Murray game. Uh, I think he was a, I want to say he was a redshirt sophomore that year, and uh, it was a tight game, but we were never in, I think we had the lead throughout the game. They, they made a run here late in the game, but we held off and won the game. 2013, uh, that was the that was the overtime game, right, where they fumbled the ball, where Pick Howard fumbled the ball out of the end zone. That was a tight game. Um, I thought we were a better team than, def- I thought we were definitely the better team. That game was way closer than it should have been. And then, like you said, in 2015, we had... 20 plus point lead and there's no way getting around it we just absolutely freaking blew that game uh everything that could possibly have gone wrong went wrong for us that in the second half of that game or right before the second half really killed us so yeah i mean it's it's always a dog fight man there's i've never been to a game there where we just flat out beat their ass uh i've been to games that we've won i mean i've been there I don't know how many times in a row now we played there but you know, I, I can't remember a game where we ever just destroyed them in knoxville so yeah i, I get that but look at, I mean, that's part of the equation. But look at the talent on the field, man. They lost so much on both sides of the ball. And I'm talking key players. I know every team loses players every year. It's the nature of the beast in college football. But, dude, they lost so many key players. I mean, you yeah, lose I mean, your quarterback, think, both running backs, best receiver, all the guys on defense. Defensively, it's going to be the biggest thing, though. Yeah, they lost a lot of players, but... Last year, a lot of guys were thrust into positions they weren't ready for, and they had to play through it and get ready. Okay, yes, that is true. They So when all those injuries happen, let me just read you a couple numbers here. So Tennessee, uh, they gave up 500-plus yards five times last year, gave up 600-plus yards three times. Against Kentucky, they gave up 635 yards. Against Missouri, they gave up 740 yards. Against Vanderbilt, they gave up 608 yards. And that was with those guys who were filled in for, for their injured stars who were being the guys who are going to be playing this year. Now, yes, those guys got the experience. They'll be a, a year yeah, older I mean, this they year. Were playing, they were playing two backups at the middle inside linebacker. Yeah, but those guys are going to be starting for them this year. I know, but that's like asking Roquan and Natrez to go in there and start right away when they were clearly not ready. Right, but 740 yards? I mean, dude, like, oh, I, will they be better this year? Yes, but how I mean, much that's better? The same thing. Imagine if Georgia right now had injuries at cornerback position. 
We'd be asking walk-ons to do it compared to what we had in the well, spring. Well, we'd be asking true freshmen to do it. I mean, you got to have guys like Amir Speeds and some of those guys that we just signed this year. I mean, look, yeah, we would we would be definitely not we would definitely would be worse defensively if we had some of our key players go out. Sure, I absolutely admit that. If Roquan Smith goes out, if Trent Thompson goes out, we're going to give up some serious yards. But are we going to give up 750 yards? I mean, over 600 yards three games in a row in the season to Kentucky, Missouri, and Vanderbilt? I think as, as what, what, I mean, look, we don't even have a true shutdown corner. So if we lose one, our, our go-to guy, as in when they lost Cam Sutton, we ha- we would have zero person that could match up against a big-time receiver. I agree with that, but I still don't think we're going to give up 750 yards of offense. I mean, I don't, I don't think it's that steep, but I think we'd give up four to 500 yards easily. I mean, oh, sure, look, what, sure. look what we did against Mizzou last year with Briscoe. I mean, he looked like a deer in the headlights, and he was our starter at the time. Yeah, that's true. I, I just, look, they're going to be better defensively. It, there is something to the fact those guys got playing time, and they got experience, and they took their lumps, and, and they'll know, be The last here. couple classes, they even though they never have good quarterbacks, they still somehow find ways to get good receivers. That... I mean, they, they have a claim for being receiver you, man, uh, in terms of guys they sign, for sure. I mean, we're running back you. They could be receiver you in the SEC. There's no doubt about that. I just think while they will be better defensively, it's hard to be worse. How much better can you be from that? Like, so you move from giving up, oh, I don't know, uh, they gave up they gave 584 yards a game this year. So is, is this a team that's going to jump up and all of a sudden start only giving up 350 yards a game? If they gave up... 450 yards a game, that'd be a dramatic improvement. And that's just not going to be good enough if they jump up that far. That's just not going to be good enough. I get that argument, but but the thing is, when it really comes down to it, if it's a close game, I don't like our, 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 I don't like our our chance if it's a close game when it comes down to Knoxville. (sighs) It's fair, man. Actually, I don't know if that number was right. How much, I think I just completely read something crazy different. They gave up 5,840 yards total. All right, I read that wrong. But still, 635 yards Kentucky, 740 Missouri, 608 to Vanderbilt, 592 to A&M, 594 I mean, Alabama. How many did we give up to Missouri fully healthy? How much did we? That's a good question. Let me look that up. Georgia. Pull this up. Game logs. Fully healthy. They gave up way too many. I'll tell you that. They torched us. All right. Game logs, Georgia, Missouri. All right, computer. Uh, Missouri, we gave up 471 total yards. They gave up 510 to Mississippi State, or to Ole Miss. So our two worst games last year, our two worst games defensively, we gave up 471 and 510. That's still fully healthy. True. Well, let's go back to when they were fully healthy. At least five of their top players, five of their starters. All right, when Tennessee was fully healthy, they gave up 292 to Appalachian State. Okay, but that's still, that's a power five, or it's a group of five team. Virginia Tech, 400 yards. Ohio, 318. Florida, 402. Florida has an average. They've been terrible. They haven't averaged 400 yards on offense since Tim Tebow. 392 to us with a true freshman quarterback. Um, A&M, 5. And then this is when they started to get some. Uh, that was They really started to get some injuries against Florida. And so from the rest of the season on, they were they were pretty much wiped out. So they had some decent games. You know, they had 325 to South Carolina. But, man, they had some games that just really stood out as like, holy hell, what just happened there? Well, I think also another problem with that is you have to look at what their offense did. How many, like, think about that A&M game, all the fumbles they had, all the, and the, you know, putting their defense out there right after being out there. You know, we don't know the timing also. But, I mean, I agree their defense isn't great and their offense won't be great. But it's just the fact of just what, I mean, it doesn't take being great. 
Yeah, okay, so the reason they were able to win, what, nine games last year is because their offense was actually pretty damn good. Josh Dobbs took a good – he took a big step in his senior year. Uh, Josh Mill had a pretty big year. Alvin Kamara was good for them. Uh, Juwan Jennings was a good player, as we all know too well. God, I hate him. Um, but those guys, except for Jennings, are gone. So while their defense is probably going to be – it will be improved, I don't think it's going to be significantly improved. And if you factor that – Factor that in with an offense that's likely to take a step back. Again, we don't know until we see these teams on the field, but if you look at all the key pieces they're losing offensively, you have to imagine they're going to take a step back. So if your defense improves a little bit, but your offense takes a, a pretty big step back, what's the net there? I think you're going to have a team that's maybe a seven-win team. I mean, is that crazy? I mean, maybe I'm crazy. I, I could be. I probably am. I mean, you might be crazy, but how many times have we lost to a seven-win team sure, in, in, sure, up there? Sure, You're right, and I, I will go back. I will definitely give you that. That is a tough place to play. Uh, I love going to that game because it's an awesome college football environment. I, even, but, even though their their offense isn't up to the standard Notre Dame, I, st- I still would be more afraid of a seven-win Tennessee team than a seven-win Notre Dame team. Hmm. I just think Tennessee. I think Notre Dame has better players right now. I know. I know Butch Jones has recruited fairly well his first couple of years, but a lot of those guys actually. There's been a lot of attrition in that program, and they got a lot yeah, of guys. And replacing. also, I think the timing too. We're coming off a game against Mr. State. Don't know how that could go. Uh, compared to when we're going to Notre Dame, we have practically close to the whole off season to get ready for them, knowing that we just no, have to don't get discount State Appalachian game. State though. I'm not discounting them, but I'm saying the fact is, you know, that they're going to be game planning for both games going into the beginning of the season. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's probably true. I, I mean, we'll think... have a lot of film broken down on Notre Dame compared to what we will against Tennessee. That's probably true. I, I guess, and look, I, I don't disagree with you all that much. I just think that Notre Dame, I think, they're, I think defensively, they're about on equal footing right now with Tennessee, considering the loss that Tennessee had. And I think Notre Dame is appreciably better than Tennessee right now offensively in terms of the returning talent, the playmakers they have coming back across that offense. And they both have quarterback questions, but still, I think Notre Dame has way more talent offensively at this point. Defense is fairly even, so, and they're both on the road. I know Tennessee is a much more raucous environment. I give, I give you that. But I think Notre Dame, and for me, just a slight bit more tough than Tennessee going into the season. But I could, I'm probably right. I'm an idiot. Uh, all right, and now the top two toughest games on our schedule. And if you've been paying attention, you probably realize it's now down to the Florida Gators and the Auburn War Eagle Tiger Plainsmen. Uh, coming in at number two in the Glory UGA rankings of the five toughest games on our 2000 schedule is the Florida Gators. Which means, in our humble opinion, the toughest game on our 2017 schedule is our trip to by far the worst SEC town in our regular schedule rotation, and that is a trip to Auburn to face their Tiger Warrior Plainsman identity crisis people. All right, Kurt, I think most out there could surmise that it was going to likely come down to Florida and Auburn uh, for us as the top two toughest games in these rankings. So uh, you and I both had Auburn as the toughest game in our individual rankings. For you, what is it about this matchup with Auburn that makes this game look so tough five months out? Um, first, I think they're going to be the better team of the two. And at the same time, you know, as recent history, we ha- we'll have our bye week before we go to Florida compared to when we go to Auburn. You're looking at the end of a, three, a tough three-game stretch with Florida, South Carolina, then Auburn. And at the same time, it's a true road game. That's a great – it is an absolute true road game. Now, I will say, have you ever been to Auburn for a game? No. Uh, man – Okay, is it a good SEC environment? Yeah, sure. 
but it is far from this intimidating environment that everyone makes it out to be. At least I mean, in my experience, it's still there. better than having thirty to forty thousand. Yes, yes, it's it's definitely going to be a tougher game for us to play, venue wise, than Jacksonville. You're right, no doubt. Um, I'll give you that. But so that you, and you also about the situation. So for them, they're coming off. This is their for a couple games before they play us. They've got. Ole Miss at home, at LSU, at Arkansas, by week, at A&M, then they play us at home. So that's three road games in a row with a bye week thrown in between there. At LSU, at Arkansas, by week, at A&M, then they come home to play us. That's pretty rough for them. That's pretty rough. Now for us, yes, we do have uh, Florida and South Carolina right before them, but we got a bye week, Florida, South Carolina, then Auburn. I... I like our situation a little bit better than I do theirs coming into this game, but I, I don't think it's that much of a difference. I don't think it's crazy different there. Uh, you mentioned that you thought that they were going to be a better team than Florida. What is it about this Auburn team that leads you to say that? Um, just the way they've been recruiting. I mean, you still, I mean, you got to think about it. They'll they'll have a stable of receivers. Finally, have a quarterback that can get them the ball, or at least is supposed to. Um, and while they've lost some big-time defensive players, I still think they have some big-time weapons still there. Yeah, for, okay, this, is kind of, it's, this was a tough one for me because I still think there's so much unknown with both teams right now at key positions, particularly at quarterback. But if things click, Auburn, if, let's say if things click for both teams, for Florida and Auburn, I think that Auburn has the higher ceiling than Florida. Would you agree with that? Yeah. I And... You mentioned Jarrett Stidham, the guy who's probably going to be playing, more than likely to be playing quarterback for them this year. And I don't want to spend too much time spoiling things. We're going to do a complete preview of them with our Scouting the Enemy series. But let's talk about him quickly here for a second. Because he is a big part of this equation when you're factoring in Auburn as the toughest game on our schedule. Are you buying the hype of Jarrett Stidham at this point that he is going to be the guy that's going to lead them to potential SEC West title? Honestly, I think it's a little overhyped. Um, while I think he could be really good, you know, you don't, you didn't have a big sample size at, um, at uh, Baylor. At the same time, it's a completely different offense. Uh, when it came to Baylor, it was a quick read offense type thing. You know, you have you're you're right. If you're right, if it's Malzahn's system they're running, that's my yeah, question. I mean, Whose system thinking, with Chip with Chip Lindsey coming yeah, in? They, yeah, they hired the new guy, but think about it. How long had uh, I can't think of his name right now been at Rhett Auburn? Lashley? Yeah, Rhett Lashley had been with uh, Malzahn specifically for so many years, played under him and everything, and it took him till pretty much Malzahn got into some trouble. I mean, he was feeling the heat, and that was when they finally let him start calling plays. But they were even and, when Lashley was calling plays, they were still essentially running Malzahn systems. Lashley had been with Malzahn for so long, going back to his high school days. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. I don't know how much leeway. I really don't know how much trust Malzahn will put into him right away. I, I don't have Malzahn, the answer. Malzahn's a control freak when it really comes down to it because yeah. offense is all he has. That's that's he made his entire reputation on being an offensive mastermind. Which and if he hands it over, then you know what what makes him so special than than anyone else. Well, I mean, you can say that about a lot of guys. I mean, you see that to be – that's kind of all the rage. I mean, Mark Rick did it, right? They all want to be the CEO. There's, still, there's a handful of guys that still call their own plays. I mean, look at Kirby. I mean, yeah, he made his things uh, as a defense. You saw he had a lot of input. I mean, just like in the meetings right now, the offseason, you have him doing a lot with, uh, you know, the freshmen coming in. And at the same time, 
uh, you look at Mel Tucker who runs a sit, who's running a system that Kirby knows. Um, just like you know, more likely if Mel Tucker was ever to leave, you would see someone like a Glenn Schumann probably take the reins as a defense coordinator. Who somebody that Kirby's comfortable with that runs a similar system. Yeah, who came up under Kirby. So if you're looking at it. I don't know how much Malzahn's going to want to hand over the reins completely because I just I, he's just that type of guy. It's he is he is at least he strikes me as I don't know the guy person, but he strikes me as that kind of guy, and that's the word that you hear about him. Um, and look, it's these guys who are kind of fashion themselves as offensive geniuses. They're egomaniacs, but they they all want to win. They want to keep their jobs first and foremost. So if he thinks that handing over the reins to somebody else that runs a different system. Is what's going to help him keep his job, then maybe he will. So I, I, I don't have the answer. I don't know. Because they, what Malzahn traditionally runs and what he has run at Auburn with his mobile quarterbacks and what Chip, Chip Lindsey has run in his time as offensive coordinators are very different systems. Very, very different systems. Chip Lindsey is a guy who likes to get the ball vertical. Uh, he, he runs an RPO offense, but a very different type of RPO offense than what Malzahn runs. Because Malzahn's offenses have typically been predicated on a guy as mobile at quarterback who can threat defenses with his legs to create man cover situations where you basically have one read in everything that you do. Very different systems. There's some, there's some crossover, but there's a lot of differences between these two systems. So to me, it's, it comes down to that. If Stidham is put into Malzahn's traditional offense, the offense that Cam Newton ran and Nick Marshall ran, he is not built for that. He'll be okay there because he's a really talented guy, but he's not going to be a perfect fit, and he'll just be okay. They won't maximize his ability. However, if... Malzahn can put his ego aside and allow Chip Lindsay to come in and run the system that he's run the past couple years as an offensive coordinator. That really fits what Stidham does. It's very there's a lot of similarities to what Chip Lindsay does offensively and what Art Bryles did offensively at Baylor. So if they run that offense, I think Stidham is going to be lights out. And I just, but I don't know if they are. I have to see it on the field before we know. I just I don't know what the offense is going to look like. So it's hard for me to say definitively one way or the other on Stidham. Um, but I'll say this: either way. Stenham is not Jeremy Johnson 2.0. Are you with me on that? Uh, he could be if they try to run Malzahn's offense. Uh, I, I still think he won't be Jeremy. I mean, he he won't reach his potential in that system. But he won't be. He'll be better than Jeremy Johnson was, in my opinion. Because he's shown me. I know he's he, a couple. He's only a, a small sample size of starts at Baylor, but still, in those starts, he showed me the ability to read the uh, go through whole field reads, entire field reads. To come off his his first target, to go to his to his second and third target. I've seen that. Uh, I never saw that at Jeremy Johnson. Offense, there's not a lot of reads. You either hand it off or throw it deep, really. Yeah, I know, and that's that's why I don't know. I yeah, I, I know if they run Malzahn's offense, he's not the type of guy that's going to force you to play one safety. I just can't believe that they're going to run Malzahn's and his traditional system. Maybe it's, maybe the, the right answers, the more likely scenarios, they have some sort of blending of the two. Um, but I I just can't imagine them trying to. Put him into that offense. It's just it, that would be making the same mistake all over that you made with Jeremy Johnson. That would be. Although I do think Stim is better than Jeremy Johnson. I just don't know. It's, I can't definitively say. I know we, we have this podcast and we're supposed to be telling you guys what's going to happen, but I, I don't want to lie to you. I can't sit here and say this is what's going to happen with Jared Stidham because I just we haven't seen the system. We have to see it on the field first. Then I can tell you with my opinion. But right now it's hard. But I will say, if you combine Stidham and let's say they use him at least somewhat properly. If you combine him with a healthy Cam Petway, who I think is a, a beast out there, and a group of wide receivers they have been stockpiling. I mean, they have been stockpiling wide receivers, just haven't had anybody to get it to them, and they don't really run an offense that that really features those wide receivers all that much. So with, with, with the talent they have there, that offense could be very, very good. Uh, oh, yeah, but the one thing is, though, compared to what Chip Lindsey does, and if, if he tries to do those things like Baylor-type thing, 
they don't run a true power run game, which is what also gives Petway his ability. Yeah, and and one of the things that makes Auburn's running backs so so effective uh, over the past over the years when Gus Malzahn's been leading that offense is you have that quarterback as a threat. So basically, there's no backside pursuit at all on Auburn's in Auburn's running game uh, because if if the backside guy crashes, then the quarterback just pulls it and runs, and he he destroys you that way. So the backside guy has to stay home. So there's no backside pursuit. So you always have that plus one scenario, which yes, it makes it easier for the quarterback to run, but it also makes it easier for the running back. It gives him more more room to maneuver. I don't necessarily think that's going to be the case with Stidham. Although he is more mobile than people want to give it credit for, he's not a dual threat guy. He's that's just not what he does. He's mobile-ish, or you know, he's functionally mobile, but he's not a dual threat kind of guy. So that's fair. It's a fair point. It'd be interesting. It will be. If they change systems, it'll have an effect on Stidham and the quarterback, but it'll also have an effect on the running back. So it's, it just remains to be seen what that offense is going to look like. But there is talent there. Now defensively, let's look at Florida and Auburn real quick. So Florida's been hanging their hat on defense for the past couple of years, but they're losing a ton. So is Auburn. Auburn's losing guys like Carl Lawson, Montavious yeah, Adams. Auburn's been recruiting, you know, or I mean, uh, you know, uh, paying at a higher pace than what Florida has. Boom! That's exactly what I'm saying. Look, there are both teams have some guys come back defensively. Auburn's got Marlon Davison, Trey Williams, Deshaun Davis, Carlton Davis. Some good players have been playing well for them over the past couple of years. Arlen Marlon Davison was a true freshman last year. Played really well as a true freshman. Um, and Florida's got some guys. You got CC Jefferson. You got a, you got a few pieces. You got Duke Dawson. But here's my thing: Auburn has still been recruiting well defensively. That's going to allow them, to, I think, to be better equipped to replace some of their losses. Florida, under Jim McElwain, has not been recruiting well, guys. That's well documented. If you go back and look at the numbers, it, dude, they haven't been recruiting anyone defensively. A few pieces here and there, but very few elite blue chip talent guys that they've had that that uh, Will Muschamp was bringing in on the regular when he was there. Now all Muschamp's guys are gone, McElwain has not recruited the level that they need to continue that success defensively. I know a lot of people out there in national media are saying, oh, they're going to be fine. They've, Florida, they just roll out defensive players. Yeah, maybe under Will Muschamp, those guys are gone. At some point, you have to bring in talented players, and McElwain has not done that. Auburn's brought in more talent on defense than, than Florida has over the past two, three, maybe even four years. Really, two to three years, I'll say. So I think Auburn's a little bit better equipped right now to fill some of their losses than Florida is. You got guys like Derek Brown. Got, I mean, they've got some pieces that can come in and step in and, and do something. So I don't. I think we're splitting hairs here, maybe a little bit with Florida and Auburn. But I, I'm going to go with Auburn as the toughest team on the schedule, and you're with me on that. So there it is, guys. Our top five toughest games on the 2017 schedule, according to us, the Glory UGA guys. So. Uh, definitely give us your thoughts on Twitter, guys. Check us out, Glory underscore UJ. We have a poll running right now. We'd love to get your thoughts. Tell us where we're right. Tell us where we're wrong. It's probably a little bit of both in there. Uh, it's always fun. It's always up for debate here because we don't know. We're not going to know until we see these teams on the field. But based on what we've seen from last year, guys returning, new coaches coming in, that's our take on the top five toughest games for us in this upcoming season. So for Curtis, I'm Tyler. Check back with us later this week, guys. We'll have... Uh, the next edition of our Sky and the Enemy series where we'll be looking at the Mississippi State Bizarro Dogs and old Nick Fitzgerald. And as always, guys, go dogs.